morning again. <clears throat> if you'll turn in your Bibles with me to Genesis chapter 12, actually Genesis chapter 11, verse 27. Thanks for uh, bearing with me as we made change. <laughs> oh. Can you hear me? Oh. Thank you. Let's try that again. That sounds better. <laughs> All right. So Genesis chapter 11, verses 27 through into chapter 12. We're getting back into our big sermon series about hope for the whole world and seeing the big picture of the story of the Bible, and, and we're going to see Jesus in this story as well as connect it to, to what God is doing in the world and, and then connect that story to our story. And so I know we're moving slowly through Genesis, but Genesis is the beginnings, it's the foundation, and uh, the more you understand Genesis, the, the better, the clearer the gospel of Jesus becomes. Right, the gospel was promised in Genesis long ago, and so we're going to take the next four weeks to look at the life of Abraham. I think this will be really helpful. It's a good follow-up to what Pastor Jim, he spent a couple weeks in Abraham in Romans, so Abraham is everywhere, and so buckle up. <laughs> um, so let's, let's read God's Word. It's, it's chapter 11, verse 27, through, through verse 9 of chapter 12. This is God's word. Now these are the generations of Terah. Terah fathered Abram, Nahor, and Haran. And Haran fathered Lot. Haran died in the presence of his father Terah in the land of his kindred in Ur of the Chaldeans. And Abram and Nahor took wives. The name of Abram's wife was Sarai. And the name of Nahor's wife, Milcah, the daughter of Haran, the father of Milcah and Iscah. Now Sarai was barren and she had no child. So Terah took Abram his son and Lot the son of Haran his grandson and Sarai his daughter-in-law, his son Abram's wife, and they went forth together from Ur of the Chaldeans to go into the land of Canaan. But when they came to Haran, they settled there. The days of Terah were 205 years and Terah died in Haran. Now the Lord said to Abram, go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you, and I will make of you a great nation, and I will bless you, and make your name great so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and him who dishonors you I will curse, and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So Abram went as the Lord had told him, and Lot went with him. Abram was 75 years old when he departed from Haran. And Abram took Sarai, his wife, and Lot, his brother's son, and all their possessions that they had gathered and the people that they had acquired in Haran. And they set out to go to the land of Canaan. When they came to the land of Canaan, Abram passed through the land to the place at Shechem, to the oak of Morah. At that time, the Canaanites were in the land. Then the Lord appeared to Abram and said, to your offspring I will give this land. So he built there an altar to the Lord who had appeared to him. From there he moved to the hill country on the east of Bethel and pitched his tent with Bethel on the west and Ai on the east. And there he built an altar to the Lord and called upon the name of the Lord. 
And Abram journeyed on, still going toward the Negev. And this is God's word. That is true and trustworthy and spoken to us today in love. Let's, let's pray. Our Father and our God, I pray that you help us live by faith as Abraham lived by faith, trusting your promises, even when he couldn't see how and when you were going to fulfill these, these promises. And so for us to have that kind of faith, we need your Spirit to come and show us, to bless us, and to show us how blessed we are beyond measure in Christ Jesus, uh, so that we too may be channels of blessing, of your blessing, to those around us. So help us better understand your word, that we might be the people you have called us to be, Lord, in Jesus' name. We pray, amen. So when I went to seminary uh, down in Mississippi, there were different tracks you could take to get your Masters of Divinity, and uh, at that point we thought we were going to be missionaries uh, to northern Uganda, which is strange to think about now in this frozen weather. Um, and so I chose a missions emphasis, and so which meant as all my electives had to do with understanding the Bible, understanding God's mission, and how to be mission-minded. And, um, and so one of our assignments was to pick a passage of the Bible that talked about God's mission, and I did not choose this one, uh, Genesis 12, 1 to 3, um, but one of my classmates did, and the assignment was to write like, I don't know, 15, 20 pages or something like that, which sounds like an eternity if you're still in, in grade school, but my classmate, as he dove into this passage, said, I started and I couldn't stop. <laughs> right? I think he turned in like a 70-page paper or something ridiculous. Overachiever. <laughs> But what he started to do is, is say, look at how connected the story of Abraham is to the gospel of Jesus and how that connects to what God is going to do for all the nations. And he's just going deeper and deeper and deeper. And, and so well, this, is, this is foundational to understanding why Jesus came and what Jesus came to do in order to make disciples of all nations. Uh, this is our birthright, if you will, the inheritance we've received through Abraham's faith, connecting us to the life of Jesus. And so, like I said, it, it really is hard to overstate the centrality of Abraham to the story of the Bible. He's this great man of faith where we learn how to walk by faith when you have no idea how God is going to do because what he's promised seems so much bigger than anything we can accomplish. Um, he's called God's friend. We get to walk in that lineage. We too get to be called God's friends through Christ. I mean, really, as you read the New Testament, you cannot read a New Testament author without hearing about Abraham. And so we're going to dive in and, and say, we'll, we'll see what we can learn from Abram this morning. Abram, who will be later called Abraham. Uh, we want to see the call of Abraham. This, the call of Abram, I'm going to mix it up, but the call of Abram, uh, the gospel promise to Abram, and then the blessing we receive through faith uh, in, like Abram. And so let's, let's look at the call of God calling Abram. And context helps to remember where we've been. Right? We spent a long time working through Genesis 3 through 11 to describe what, what went wrong with the world. Why, why are we so miserable? Why do we, why do we weep? Why are we suffering? Why is it so hard to change? Uh, we've seen how the curse has ruined God's good world. 
uh, that, that to be human is to be like Adam and Eve. And like Adam and Adam's descendants, we want to do what it seems right in our own eyes, regardless of what God thinks. Uh, we're ruled by our desires. We have to do what we want. As Woody Allen was famously said, right? The heart wants what the heart wants. I can't say no. Uh, we've also seen how every human is under the dominion of death, right? There's that chapter where the refrain is, and they died, and they died, and they died. This is normal human experience. And, and you, you heard the lament of Noah's father, right? We need somebody to, to save us from the toil, the pain of our work. The curse has made life hard. And then we looked at Babel, how, how human pride has, has infected everyone, right? We want to climb up to the heavens by our own works to make a name for ourselves. And what God does is he scatters them. He confuses their language. And now humans are spread throughout all the world, plagued by Babylonian hearts that, that really want to achieve a name for themselves. It's all, it's all about me and what I can do. And in the midst of all that bad news, right, we've also seen how God promised a, a son, a seed, an offspring, a Messiah, who's going to come through a particular family, and that son is going to undo the mess that we humans have made. It's going to untangle that, that massive knot <laughs> that is the curse, that is the world we live in. And so when, you come, when you're reading through the story here and you come to 1127, that's where the narrative of Abram starts, because you got these, these bookmarks, right? These are the generations. It's telling you it's a new, new chapter in the story. Uh, when you read this, this section, what, what you're supposed to get out of this is look at how bleak it is out there. Right? The curse is still here. Death and sin are still in, in the human nature. And when you get to Terah and his sons, before you get to chapter 12, it's not good. Right? As one, one commentator put it, human, humanity has hit a dead end. Because even in the family that's supposed to be carrying on this tradition of faith, well, they're not living the life of faith. Look, look at Terah in verse 25, uh, 27. Right? These are the generations of Terah. He had three sons, Abram, Nahor, and Haran. Where is Terah living? Right? He's an Ur of the Chaldeans. That's, that's verse 28. In Ur of the Chaldeans, it's, it's, it's the ancient way of talking about Babylon. Right? So they're, they're in this land of what Israel would know to be later to be their enemies. And one of the things that, that, that comes out that's really helpful too is, is the meaning of Terah's name. Terah's name has to do with moon worship. Right? And so Ur of the Chaldeans, that city in particular, was famous for having a ziggurat, a temple, a shrine, if you will, to the moon god. And part of worshiping this moon god was trying was human sacrifice, if I could put it that way. Right? They would do anything by any means possible to get this, this particular moon god to bless them, including the horror of human sacrifice. This is the community Abram grew up in. And his father, Terah, is named after that particular god. So Terah and his family are just a bunch of idolaters, worshiping false gods, though they do not yet know Yahweh, the Lord who made them. Right? And so you have this family 
It's supposed to be trusting in the Lord who's supposed to be carrying on the lineage, the, the blessing from Genesis 3 through Noah, through Shem. And instead, they're fully involved in the worship of other gods, living just like their neighbors. They don't look any different. And so at this point, you're supposed to feel that weight, that the curse feels unbreakable by any humans involved. And it's added with that note about Sarai, Abram's wife, that in verse 30, she's barren. Her womb is dead. Right? If the family of God is going to carry on this lineage of faith and the promise, they need to have children. Right? And so one, one person put it like this, that the barrenness of Sarah is a metaphor for hopelessness. Um, Pastor Jim talked about that a bit in, in Romans 4. Right, that this text is telling us it seems like at this point there's no foreseeable future, there's no human power to invent a future, because what, what human being is able to overcome and, and make life, right? overcome a barren womb? And so the human race and human history seemingly have hit a dead end, and it feels over until God speaks again, and he speaks his promise, the gospel promise to Abram. And so... This is the context of the call. You get to really understand, why did God choose Abram to be the channel of his blessing to the world? Abram has no qualifications for the job. None. Which is good news for us, because that's exactly how God works with you and I. It's how you become a Christian. It looks, you are hopeless. You are dead in your trespasses of sin. The the metaphor is, like a barren womb, you cannot manufacture life a relationship with God on your own. And so what Abram teaches us is about how God calls. Abram has a particular call for sure, but it's also the pattern of how God calls us, that God chooses the unlikeliest of men and women to further his mission in the world, those who are hopeless, who are alienated, estranged. Because if you look at Abram, his family isn't paying any attention to the Lord and his promise. Uh, they're part of their culture, worshiping and ignoring the living God. He has zero qualifications to be chosen, like Israel, like us. And then all of a sudden, just like Genesis 1-1 again, or 1-3, sorry, God speaks. And there's hope because God speaks, and because when God speaks, there's power to transform anyone to call them to himself. And so it's good news. This is how God is going to restore and renew the world. It's going to be by grace and grace alone through the call of sinful men like Abram. But the the process starts here with Abram. Right, so let's, let's meditate on this, on how this is good news, but God's call on our lives is highly disruptive. Right? Abram was called by God to have a future when it seemed like there was going to be no future. A barren wife. And we, similarly, are most able to hear God's call in our lives when we hit dead ends. Uh, Think about all those relationships, all those places in your life that feel like a barren winter ground where there's no hope of life and you cannot manufacture a fix on your own spiritually dead in our trespasses and sins, as, as Paul would put it. 
that unless God calls you and gets your attention and speaks and brings you to that dead end and your awareness and convicts you of your sin, well, you're going to end up like Abram before the call, right? You can be a decent person living for something else in the world that God created, wanting that to bless you instead of God. But it's a hopeless future. Right? That's why our tradition, right, in the Westminster Catechism, describes God's call as effectual. It's powerful. Where God comes, convinces us of our sin and misery. He enlightens our minds. He teaches us what we're like and what he's like. He renews our will. Uh, says, this is a good option. You want this? His spirit comes and persuades you to, to embrace God's promise in the gospel. Right. And this is the point. Nobody can be a Christian unless God calls you. Nobody participates in God's mission unless God calls you from death into life, from fruitlessness into fruitfulness. Right? And, and this is the hope, the way the rest of the, the, the story of the Bible pulls this out, is because God chooses someone like Abram, it means there's hope for anybody in the world no matter where you're from, right? He's, a, he's a, a pagan idolater from Babylon. Right? That for any family, anybody can come. God called Abram when he had zero interest and no, seemingly, at least in the text, he had no knowledge of the Lord. And so that's Paul's point in Romans that when God called Abram, he wasn't circumcised. He wasn't, he wasn't special. He wasn't particularly Jewish. Uh, there wasn't anything about him that, that deserved this call. He was Babylonian in practice and belief. And so God called Abram out of the nations by grace to send him out to be a blessing to those nations. Right? And because Abram is from the nations like everybody else, that, that gives you hope for anybody to become a part of God's family, to hear God's call. And so you're starting to see how this works, right? God's call is by grace and grace alone, at God's initiative, for God's particular purposes, in God's particular mission, to bless every single family in all the earth. Abram's getting sucked into what God is doing. Right? I can say that again, that, that like Abram, the call to be a Christian comes at God's initiative, for God's purposes, for God's mission. Right? So that, right, all the blessings you receive come with a so that you may be a blessing. All right, and on Abram, what's the effect of the call? It's astonishing obedience, how, how deep this obedience goes. Because what, what does he do? He forsakes everything familiar for God's sake. He obeys. He trusts and obeys. You hear that in, in chapter 12, verse 1, when the Lord says to Abram, I want you to go from your country and your kindred and your father's house to the land that I will show you. Right? So once, once, you get, once you meet the Lord or the Lord meets you, he calls you into himself, and what does he do? He says, go, get out. Right? I like the King James, get thee out. <laughs> get out of here. I'm going to go with you wherever you go but I'm going to bless you to be a blessing, right? Leave the familiar. 
Uh, he's giving a, getting a holy, loving, motivational boot from the living God to go be, be faithful. And Abram obeys. All right, I want you to le- forsake your culture, your country, your family, your land. It's hard to be more exhaustive than that. All right? And yet, this is, this is the pattern. This is how God works. Right? He calls people. He calls you and I who are blessed by his grace to know him, and what does he do? He sends you out for a particular purpose to be a blessing in a particular place. Right? Moses, come at the burning bush. And he, and he calls him by name, and, and Moses falls down on his face, realizes his unworthiness and his inability to do what God's called him to do, and, and God says, go. Go to Egypt. Tell him to let my people go. Israel has the same experience at Mount Sinai. Instead of a bush that's on fire, now it's a mountain. And God says, come, I've saved you. I've carried you on eagle's wings to this particular point. And if you obey, you will be a, a priest to the nations. So come, now go. Be a blessing to the nations. Isaiah, the prophet, he sees God seated high on his throne. And when he sees God in all his glory and his greatness, he says, woe is me, for I am a man of unclean lips, and I dwell with a people of unclean lips. He just falls apart emotionally and says, I am not worthy to, do, to be in your presence. And God takes, has an angel, a messenger, take a hot coal from the altar that was covered in the blood of the lamb, touches his lips from him, and says, behold, your sin is atoned for. He rises forgiven, and God says, who will go for me? And what does Isaiah say? Here I am, send me. Right? God calls us in to kick us out to go serve in his particular mission. Going with us in the journey. And so how does, how does Abram leaving family and leaving his country apply to us who live here in Saratoga County? And one of the ways I think you can apply this is to, to listen to the same language Jesus used to, to call his disciples to leave family. Or at least lessen family connections, right? Matthew 10, 35. Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to bring peace to the earth. I have not come to bring peace but a sword. For I have come to set a man against his father, a daughter against his mother, her mother, and a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a person's enemies will be... The, those of their own household. And here's that hard saying of Jesus, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Some heavy words. He's saying something very similar to what God said to Abram that God's call on your life is more central, is to have a higher priority than that even of your family. Um, Jesus is echoing what Micah said. Don't trust your neighbor or even your family. Instead, look to the one who's the most reliable, which is the God of your salvation. Right? Jesus is more central. God's call on your life is to be more central than even our family connections. 
And to do that means you're going to have to take up your cross because that is hard. And what, what I think God is calling us to see in yourself, same he's calling Abram, right? The very core of your identity now is you belong to me. Your life is not your own. You're a God follower first, a Christian first. And because you're a Christian first, as he orders your life, that's going to look like crazy, scandalous, radical obedience to your family and to your neighbors and to your culture. Right? You and I have layers to our identity. You're like Shrek, right? Ogres have layers like onions. You've grown up and you have a particular way of doing things because of the family you grew up in. And you also have a particular way, depending on what state you're from or what country you're from, to see the world, right? We're upstate New Yorkers. Our tribes are not the same, right? If you're from Long Island, you see the world differently <laughs> than us upstaters. That's what we, when we leave New York, we have to convince everyone that upstate's different than downstate, right? But there's a particular way of seeing and living in the world that we learn here just by being here. In our country, we're... We're Western, we're American, that has a particular way we see the world, a particular way we think, a particular way to believe, and what the gospel is saying, all of those things now get shoved down to the bottom of the priority list, that, that the, the very core of who you are, right? You belong to God. More than your Americanness, your political identity, your ethnicity, Right? God's call should speak louder to you than your family and have a greater influence on you than the culture in which you live. Leave your land. <laughs> uh, leave your family. Forsake all for Christ. It's another way of saying, get thee out. Get out of the driver's seat. Because God's signing you up with his call for an adventure of faith. He knows the, the destination and the troubles on the way, and it's your job to trust him with the journey as you leave your family and what is comfortable and familiar to start to change how you think. This is why we meet every week, right, to, to hear the scriptures taught because we're in process of learning how, what life it looks like responding to God's call to repent, believe, and follow Jesus. Right? And so, here's, here's a great illustration of this. Similar to, to Abram, right? God calls Abram and says, I want you to go. I want you to get out. I want you to leave your family. I'm not even telling you where you're going. Just go. I want you to believe. And you remember in The, in the Hobbit, uh, it's a new year, so I got a new, new uh, quotient of, <laughs> of Lord of the Rings illustrations. Um, yeah, Bilbo's turned his, he's living a quiet life in the countryside. It's safe. It's familiar. He's minding his own business when somebody knocks on the door. It's Gandalf and a bunch of dwarves saying, I want you to come join us in our adventure to, to fight evil, to defeat the dragon. We'll reward you with treasure if you come. And in the movie, Bilbo's given a literal contract that like falls down. It's this huge, long thing, and he's starting to read it. And at the top, it says, the king has the right to alter the journey as he chooses. <laughs> There's some good spiritual parallels there. Right? And then it goes in to say, you can't blame the king and anyone on this journey with you for any injuries that happen, including laceration, evisceration, or incineration. <laughs> and one of the dwarves says, yeah, dragon's fire. You're just gonna, it's just going to melt your bones. You'll be fine. 
right? And Bilbo starts to have a panic attack as he's reading, and he starts to count the cost of what it looks like to obey, to forsake the familiar, to leave his family, because he knows he's not going to be the same if he's to leave, if he's to go, if he signs this contract. Because the moment you sign this contract by faith, he's binding himself to the call and the mission of the king. And to be strange to his family and neighbors for the rest of his life. And you can see the parallels with Abram and us as Christians, can't you? If Abram goes, because Abram goes, I should say, he's not the same. He's now bound to God's call and to God's mission and to trust God's promises, even if he doesn't know where God will take him. Hebrews 11.8 By faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called out to go to a place that he was going to receive in his inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. <laughs> you start to see how God's call works. It's gracious. He gets, it, gets our attention when we're not paying attention to him. It's authoritative. And it calls us to this radical obedience where you forsake the familiar, even your family. And of course, Abraham went just as the Lord told him. That's, that's verse 4. And Lot went with him. So one quick encouragement from the text here. When you hear Jesus' statements, and when I hear Jesus' statements, and when I hear this command from God to Abram, and Abram responds like that, it sounds an awful lot like Jesus coming to the fishermen on the sea, and he says, you, follow me. And they leave their family, and they leave their business, and they their whole lives are just reoriented to the call of Jesus in their lives, and it sounds so dramatic. And it is dramatic. It is a, a, a reorientation of how you live, but in the text, how quick is Abram to actually line up his life to the call God has put, him, put on him, to change his allegiance from family, self, and country to God and God alone? It takes time. Right, we... This call comes to Abram while he's in Haran and he patiently waits for his father to pass away before he leaves and starts his journey. Right? It took years waiting for his father to pass and then it took even more years before Abram and Lot went their separate ways for him to actually leave his family and go, go out alone trusting God with the promise. And so it's just a good encouragement here, I think. Some people knock Abraham's faith for, for not being, making a clean break, and I, I think he is just involved in the process. When God wants to change somebody, to change your allegiance, it is a process. It takes time. Your allegiances are, are tested as you go, right? It's a process that will have clear, I need to do this now moments, but the way God changes your heart, it takes time. So I I find that encouraging, that God, even with Abram, was patient. Um, Now, why did Abram leave Haran and go with God? And verse 2 and 3 are some of the greatest texts here in the the scriptures. Um, I might say that over and over again in Genesis, but it's the gospel promised beforehand. He trusted God's promise. That's why he went. God commanded him. God effectually worked in his heart. He obeyed. And the motivation here is the the gospel promise to him. And so these verses are a seven-line poem. I'll read them in, in, 
in, in the original language there's a seven, seven line poem, but it's, it's a promise to bless all the way down to the individual families of the entire earth. And so listen to the seven lines. One, I will make you of a great nation, and I will bless you, and I will make your name great. And then the middle part, which is the focus here, so that you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. I guess I should hold up another hand here. Um, I'm miscounting here. I, I was a math major. <laughs> Can't count to seven. I'll make you a great nation. I'll bless you and make your name great so that you'll be a blessing. That's four. I will bless those who bless you and him who dishonors you. I will curse and in you all the families of the earth shall be blessed. So God gives a, this massive promise in seven lines. And I, I, here's what I think the text is designed to do by using that number seven that is all the way through the Old Testament. Right? Remember the Sabbath. Genesis 1, when the world was very good. Because day 7 is the day of rest. 7 is the day of completion. And I, I think what this promise is, is communicating to Abram and to us is that God is saying, Abram, through you, I'm going to bring the nations this seventh day rest. Uh, that, that God will one day dwell and rest with humans in a very good world, unstained by death and evil. Through you, all the families of the earth will be blessed. Right? Just, I'm going to undo the curse, is what God is saying to Abram. Because you remember the big story of Genesis. Humans were blessed, and they chose to try and fix it, bless themselves, trusting their own wisdom rather than God's. They take the fruit, and then the curse comes, and they're exiled. And, but what you see here in this little seven-line poem is, is the hope for a new creation that God himself is promising to undo the curse and bless all the families of the earth through Abram. That's what we got right now. That, that the multi-ethnic family of Abram at some point will experience the blessing of Eden, God dwelling with them someday in the future. And that's why this is called the gospel promise beforehand. Um, that the verses 2 and 3 are simply good news proclaimed to what God will do through this particular person, Abram. Right? It, it doesn't depend on Abram's obedience. I mean, his obedience comes into it, but this is just God saying, here's what I am going to do. I'm going to bless the nations. Right? God is divinely appointing Abram for this. Here's what I'm going to do through you and your life. It's the beauty of God just saying, I got this. And I choose you. Right? And of course, if you know the rest of the story, it's good it doesn't depend on Abram. Right? That sets like the next story when he goes down to Egypt and you find out he's flawed like we are flawed. And so this, this hope of a new creation, of the curse being undone, of death being overcome, of human, humans' desires being tamed, if it all rests on Abram, we're doomed. But because God gives the promise, there's hope. And there's even more just in the original language, right? That, that in this seven-line poem, the word blessing shows up five times, right? And you know how many times the word curse appears in Genesis 3 to 11 leading up to this moment? Five times. 
See the connection? All right, five curses, now five blessings. It is interesting. I think it's a very specific way that God is saying through Abram, I'm going to make my blessings flow as far as the curse is found. I'm going to undo the curse. He's promising to reverse, to overcome everything that has happened because of selfish humans through Abram. This is the gospel promised. Isn't that amazing? Right? Abram went, as the Lord told him, responding to this promise. So what, what are the, the details of this promise? Well, Abram, I'm going to give you land. I'm going to make you a great nation, right? You're going to have family, even though your wife can't have children. And I'm going to make your name great so that you will be a blessing. Um, and so... Abram, the only way Abram can go with this promise is by faith. His wife is barren. She can't have babies. How are you going to be a great nation if you can't have children? He goes by faith. God says, I'm going to make your name great. That's, that's trying to get you to remember Babel. The culture that Abram was called out of. In, in, Babel, in Babel, you make a name for yourself. You make yourself great. You construct your life as you want it to be. You're in charge. You have to climb to the heavens to get yourself in heaven by your own works. Right? You have to make a name for yourself. Right? But in the gospel, what does God do for Abram and all those blessed in him? Right? I give you a name. I'm going to make your name great. You don't have to earn it. It's the very opposite of the way we think. Right. Abram receives the gift of name, and, and then the, this great name and all these promises are so that Abram will be a blessing. And part of this blessing you, you hear in, in the, the second half of the poem is God says unilaterally, Abram, I'm going to bless you. I'm going to bless everyone who blesses you. And anyone who dishonors you, I will curse. And part of that means God is going to go wherever Abram goes. And the fulfillment of this... Um, is God swearing, I will do good for you regardless of how you act, <laughs> regardless, you, whether you deserve it or not. And you see that next, in the next part of the story, right? Chapter 13, there's a famine, uh, no, it's 12.10, there's a famine in the land, Abram goes down to Egypt, and he tells Sarah, you're beautiful, the Pharaoh's going to see you and want to take you for her, himself, so tell them you're my sister. And, right, Abram is being deceitful to Pharaoh. Pharaoh sees her, takes her. Abram is blessed. He gets wealthy in Egypt, right? He's treated well. But what happens to Pharaoh, who's being sinned against? All the plagues come on Egypt. It makes no sense. I mean, Abram is being a selfish jerk, and yet in this promise, God is saying, yeah, but he's mine, and I have sworn to be gracious to him to bless him whether he deserves it or not so that through him he might be a blessing. Right. And then you get the scope. What God does through Abraham is for every family of the earth. That's an amazing thing. That every little household. That, that God's global redemption plan is down. It, it's, it's aimed at your particular house. If you're a Christian, you're, you're a part of this. this. God was aiming at you when he gave this promise, if you're a Christian. 
Abram was blessed to be a blessing. So, what do you do with that? Do you, do we, I'll include myself here, do we see that this is the way God works? Abram was blessed to be a blessing, and that blessing comes to us so that we might be a blessing? In other words, that, that the, in the logic of the gospel, God gives, he blesses, he gives you grace, he gives you all these good gifts, physical and spiritual, uh, his presence, we'll talk about that here in a moment. But the, the way God works with Abram is the same way he works with us. He said, I give to you so that you may be a blessing. It happens with Israel, Abram's family. We, we re- that was our call to worship in Psalm 67 where they pray, God bless us. Why? So that the, the peoples, the nations, that this is Abrahamic language, that they might praise you, that they might be blessed, that they might know you. Right? You start to read the New Testament, you get the same pattern over and over again, right? Uh, imitate God. Go love one another as you have been loved. Um, forgive as you have been forgiven. It's you receive this great blessing so that you might be a blessing to others. You are God's instrument uh, for healing and reconciliation in this world. That's where the call takes you, to to drag you outside of yourself. So my prayer is that as as we get our minds wrapped around what God is doing for Abram, that becomes a framework for seeing ourselves and our, our, our place and what God is up to in the world, that you can start to pray, Lord, God bless me as you have in Christ. Now show me how my, I and my family might be a blessing to, to the families around me, to around us here in particular. Right? If that's the mentality, that you are blessed to be a blessing and God goes with you wherever you go, um, that means when you go to your job, You've been blessed with particular skills to be a blessing. This blessing goes with you into the workplace and your relationships. It goes into your household. You've been blessed to be a blessing. Uh, You have time. You've been given time to do things. How are you going to use your time? It's a whole mentality of this is the way God's call works. It's gracious. He calls you to forsake that is all is familiar. Trust that he will do this work. And trust that he will use you to be a blessing where he has placed you. Right? Abram is the recipient of the blessing. And God says, I'm going to use you. Right? So the call is missional. So we've heard about the call. We've heard how the, how the gospel is promised through Abram. How do you receive this blessing? Right? And I think... We all tend to have this view, I think, that if you've been around the church for any length of time, and if you're American, which has been Christianized in value, we feel like if I have a lot, I should give it away. Right? That's a very Judeo-Christian way of looking at things, that we should be generous. Uh, we should find some way to bless others who are uh, having a harder time than I am. Right? But do you see what will happen if you try to be a blessing without first being blessed. 
right? If you are an empty cup, if blessing others only depends on you, it's going to be really hard to be a blessing. Uh, when the pandemic started, uh, I remember listening to a podcast with Tim Keller, and he was telling other pastors about what it was like to, to minister in the aftermath of 9-11. And he was saying that uh, all these Christians rose up heroically to run into the battle and say, we want to be here for the good of the city and the good of our neighbors so that they know God loves them and God is with them. And what they found out is that loads of Christians ran in trying to be a blessing without actually first being blessed. In other words, they, they, they burned out because they stopped praying. They stopped trying to connect themselves to the living God who was sending them in there. Uh, they, they ran out of gas trying to be a blessing because they were disconnected from the God who blesses. And so the way we receive the blessing of Abram, right? you first have to be blessed before you ever think about trying to pour yourself out in the service of others because you'll run out of gas. Right? How does this work out in the logic of the scriptures? Well, in Galatians 3 that John read for us, right, it's those of faith who are sons of Abraham. And the scripture foreseeing that God would just justify the nations of the Gentiles by faith, he preached the gospel beforehand to Abraham and saying, in you shall all the nations be blessed. So then those who have faith are blessed along with Abraham, the man of faith. And, and what is that blessing? Well, in Christ Jesus, the blessing of Abram might come that we might receive the promised spirit by faith. Right. Abram didn't know this in particular, right? But the, the promised blessing for the nations, for all the families of the earth that you get through faith is God's spirit. Uh, that this experience of becoming God's son by grace and grace alone. Right? You're given the spirit of life. You're, you're brought from death into life and given God's presence and the power to love others, to keep to obey. How does that promise, or how does that promised blessing get to you and I? Through Jesus. The, the, the better son of Abram, right? You're called to, to get that blessing through the work of Jesus. Do you know Jesus had a similar call to Abram? I think he put it this way, that he had a call from the Father before the foundation of the world, so I want you to leave your, what's familiar? Go leave your father's house in heaven. Go to a far off country, right, to be born here on earth. Except the catch is God told Jesus, go, and I'm going to curse you so that they, the sons of Abram, all those who believe, can be blessed. Right? Abram would say, go, I'll bless you. What does Jesus get when he goes? He gets the curse. And of course, we hear in Galatians 4, Jesus went as the Lord told him. He was born of a woman, born under the law, so that we might receive adoption as sons. And because you are sons, God sent the spirit of his son into your hearts, and you get to cry out, Abba, Father. You get to become a son of Abraham. Through faith of Jesus, you're blessed. You have the spirit. You have the, you're literally going to become a partaker of the divine nature, as the New Testament puts it. 
You have God's life dwelling with you and in you. Uh, you're given a name. You're God's son. Right? You're now righteous as he is righteous through faith because Jesus was cursed. Uh, you're given a land like Abram. Right? Abram was aiming at a particular plot. Right? But if you're a God's son and a co-heir with Christ... Uh, the way the logic of Genesis 12 works, um, it uses the word earth, land. And the, the land is everything. <laughs> it's not just that little plot of land along the Mediterranean Sea. See, Abram was promised to be an heir of all the land, everywhere the curse is found. And if we get to receive that, that promise through Jesus... We, we have a plot in the new heavens and a new earth waiting for us. See, the more you and I start to understand how God's call works and he's calling you to be blessed beyond measure through faith in Jesus, that makes us willing to go, get out, leave the familiar, start that adventure of faith and bind ourselves to the mission of the king, which is to be a blessing in the place that God has put you. And you let God work through you as you show up, as you love your neighbors as yourself. And so the, to the extent you see how blessed you are as a child of Abraham through faith, that's where you get the fuel to keep giving, to pour yourself out, to go into those broken places of the world, to seek reconciliation in families that are broken, to, to be an ambassador of God's grace. Because look at how that's the life he's called you to. You do that across the street, wherever he, wherever he puts you. And so the question is, will you respond to the call? Right? Will you go? And that, that's part of the, the logic of the session. This is where I'll end here. As we start thinking about the missions committee and the grow committee, and you could hear the language in the, in the announcement, thinking about God's gospel promise beforehand to the nations. We want, to, as a church, to better understand how blessed we are in Christ so that God might use us to be a blessing to the nations here and to the ends of the earth, right? And so the question is, where is God calling us collectively uh, in the coming years to be a blessing? Um, that takes wisdom and that takes us to work together we trust that God is working that out here among us by his grace. Let's pray. Well, Father, there's a, your gospel is good news for those of us who can't save ourselves, which is all of us. We were once dead in our trespasses and sins, and yet you brought us to yourself. And so I pray for all of us here, you would help us better understand how blessed we are in the gospel of grace Help us better see Jesus and that you would give us wisdom to know where to aim at so that you might use us to be a blessing in our, in our community. We want, we want Balsam Spa to know that we are here, or more, more particularly know that you are here working through us so that you might get the glory and we might see you do good. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.